Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Backpack Broadcasting continues to bring you the best original sports content, but now you can get more of the content you love. For as little as $3 a month, you can get access to bonus content, including behind-the-scenes footage and interviews from the Sports Walk, Sideline Stories, or the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. All this exclusive content comes via Patreon. There are tiered levels of patronage, and each Backpack Broadcasting patron receives exclusive perks. Your support helps Backpack Broadcasting create more of the original content that you love. Visit Backpack Broadcasting's Patreon page and become patron today Podcast episode 172. Dexter Henry Bryan finds sake of doing the thing, staying Shoot. socially distanced. And we got my homie. I just got to see her the other day. I hadn't seen her in like two years, might be more than that. Naomi Gray, sports reporter. She was out doing the thing in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I should say, not Minneapolis, Rochester, Minnesota. But now she's back home in New York City where she belongs. <laughs> and she's a free agent. We'll get into more of that. Uh, the lovely, the talented Naomi Gray. Naomi, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm excited to be back in this environment with you guys. It's been a hot minute since I've been on the pod, so I'm happy to be back. Life has changed a lot since I last spoke to you guys in in a podcast setting. So yeah, it should be an interesting one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should we should catch up on that. Brian, how are you? How are you doing today? You want my um authentic answer or you just want my keep it moving answer because i can um, give you my the real answer you know i what mean I'm saying? La- la- another show we were on you were lying to the people last week so uh don't lie to the people now i mean look i'm i'm getting by like talib kwali in 2002 but not like <laughs> talib kwali in 2020 because we heard some suspect shit about some of the stuff he was doing back in the day um yeah i'm just just surviving advance like march madness you know what i'm saying Understood. <laughs> survive, survive in advanced March Madness. All right, Naomi, so you told us that since the last time you were up here on the pod, um, and even last time when we spoke to you when you were on the pod, we talked about the last dance last summer. It's a lot of last. I said last a lot in the last 30 <laughs> seconds. Um, a lot has changed uh, in terms of your life and your back home. Uh, fill the people in on, on what's changed, what's new, what's ahead for you. Right. So the very first time I was on the pod, I was getting ready to make that move to Minnesota um, and start my new position at the time as a sports anchor and reporter and producer at that station in Rochester. Since then, I have moved on from the station. Um, My contract ended in September. I made the decision not to stay because, you know, you're just going to want more for yourself. You, You always try and learn what you can. And then when it's time to move on, it's time to move on. 
unfortunately for me, my contract was coming to an end right in the middle of a pandemic. And my job search began in March, which is when the pandemic hit the hardest for sports. So I always told myself before I was leaving, I was like, if I make the decision to move on from this station, I'm going to start the application process, the real process, um, with me having at least six months left on my um, contract so that way I have time to, you know, prepare for a change, time to get a job, time to figure out what I'm going to do. And like I said, unfortunately, that time for me was March. And that's when, you know, NBA shut down. Everything just started shutting down like a domino effect and jobs started shutting down. So places that I were, that I was talking to news directors at, places that I was applying for, those jobs just went into freezes. They just became non-existent. And then next thing you know, September was here and I didn't have an offer. I had nowhere to go. I was like, hmm, maybe I could stick it out a little bit in Rochester for a few months just so I don't have to move back home and, you know, make a double move. But then it just wasn't working for me. So I was like, all right, let me go back home and kind of regroup. And I, I hadn't been able to see my family in a long time. And I was like, you know what? There probably won't be another time in my career where I, where I have this much downtime or this much opportunity to spend with my family and be back home. So even though it sucks, let me just go back home, bite the bullet. And of course, like, um, depression was at its peak during this time for me. Like my first three months at home, well, literally like recently, like, I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to do anything. I was like, Hey, I just want to watch sports like a normal fan. I don't want to think about reporting on it. I don't want to think about being in the industry anymore. Like I'm content with just being in this bed, watching the days pass by. And then, you know, recently I was like, all right, Naomi, like, it's been six months since you've been on camera. It's been six months since you've talked to somebody in a sports setting about sports as an interviewer. It's time to get back in, in the game. It's time to shake off the depression, shake off the self-doubt, and go back to doing what you love to do. And the minute I started doing that, I was like, okay, I can see the wheels rolling. I can see the light at the, t at the end of the tunnel. So, yeah, it's just an ongoing, you know, battle, I feel. Like, you know, just try to believe in yourself. Try to, you know, not care too much about what people say because I think a lot of it for me a lot of the depression stemmed from like me feeling like I was a failure or feeling like oh you know what are the what is this person going to think about me what are they going to think about me about me blah, blah blah and it's like forget what everybody has to say about me like those people who have anything negative to say aren't going to be the people who are going to be following my career and being in my corner so yeah. who cares what they have to say it's literally just a personal journey that I'm currently on because I feel like the only person who could you know <laughs> create an opportunity for me is me. So that's kind of where I am right now. Well, you know, I support that on creating an opportunity for yourself and, and there you have, we have to do these things and support each other and do all independent stuff we have. But I'm actually glad to hear you talk about the fact that you had depression and Brian and I have talked about this in terms of work, right? Like you, I think in our careers, a lot of times we think it's supposed to go like this straight yeah. up. If people aren't watching the podcast, I'm kind of moving my hand up in a straight line, you know, and you know, when you retire, it's kind of when you go down and relax, right? But we all to hopefully far away from that. Yeah. I think that, I think if that we're ever able to retire. If you're able to retire, I know that's, that's a whole nother thing, right? But I think a lot of times when we're moving on from jobs or we realize jobs don't serve us anymore and that's the reason we move on. I think there's a lot of thought about, yeah, what do I do next? What right. is that I'm going to do next? And if you don't have the next thing sort of lined up per se, it's easy to feel like like you you are a failure. Um, exactly. And I, I'm extremely thankful and grateful for the opportunities I had in Minnesota because, you know, I went to grad school and I had to start from the bottom regardless of what 
my education was, I still had to go to a small market. And Rochester is going, and I was so excited about accepting the position. I didn't realize how small of a market it was until I got there. And I was like, oh, okay, so this is what this is what we're doing. And being a city girl, you know, being home, our local sports are very different than the local sports you'll see in smaller markets. The stuff we cover is not the same. So the things I grew up on was not the things I was doing, but. I was able to find an appreciation for it and I was able to go outside the box that, you know, I could have been left in. So I had a lot of opportunities and I appreciate the people who let me, you know, embark on those opportunities and help me along the way during my time in Minnesota because I was able to cover an NFL team for the first time. And that's something that was huge to me because, you know, I'm a big football fan. So to be able to have the opportunity to cover, you know, the Minnesota Vikings by myself going to games and doing all this stuff and grinding and hustling along with learning every other aspect of being in local news, it was an amazing opportunity. And I'm pretty sure it's going to help groom me for whatever my next spot is. No doubt. No doubt. You absolutely did a lot of good work there. Yeah. You know, you know, in listening to you say that it's, I just sort of realized this, like in going through this sort of media shit, like it's very easy. And I would even say comments to just fall under this depression that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I feel like everybody here, uh, has gone through it, perhaps is still going through it to some degree. Mm. You know what I mean? And I think that when you're growing up, <laughs> having just watched uh, Last Chance You, uh, you get to realize, like, yeah, it, it, there's no age limit for this necessarily. Like, people think, older people think that you can't really be depressed when you're of a certain age, when you're 18, when you're 22, when you're 25, whatever the case may be. And you sort of realize at different points, like to your point, Dexter, like this shit is not just going to be a straight line. Like even when NBA players come into the league, we just assume that someone averages eight points and five assists one year, then it's going to be 11 and seven and it's going to be 18 and 10. Then it, it doesn't work that way. You know what I mean? And this is the same thing here. It's like it's going to be ups and downs, even if you're making more money year in and year out, just mentally and emotionally. It's like very hard to sort of, you know, detach yourself from a job when you once get it. Uh, is it better for somebody to be full-time someplace or full-time freelancing and just be at a bunch of different places? Do you know how to file your taxes if you're doing that shit? Like, these are all sort of decisions when you're, when you're like, you know, sort of approaching this. And, you know, I think that we're all in very interesting spots in our careers right now where we can sort of, like, share these thoughts around us. And I know for me personally, like, it's something I've been thinking about a lot um especially you know during a pandemic where the industry was a piece of shit before and now they're using this as sort of ammunition to be like hey we have to cut back even more even though we have billions of fucking dollars in these businesses well that's it well i want to say one thing here as the older person on this podcast right which is that you know to that point brian of people thinking that younger people can't be depressed which is absolutely ridiculous right i'm here to say that the frustrations that yourself or Naomi may feel or other young people of color within this journalism industry. Yeah, I felt it. And I've been depressed and I've been down and I had the self-doubt and and all this other stuff. And that's real. And, and part of the problem, I think, for a lot of people of color is when you look around you in these newsrooms, you don't have anybody to talk to. You don't have anybody that looks like you. If you have mentors that look like you, yo, hold on to them. That's it. That's important. Right. Um, but a lot of people, some people don't. And it's really it's really tough. I know I've spoken to both you and Naomi a lot while she was in Minnesota and even to now just talking about different things and different situations in the industry. So 
That's real. I, I think Naomi, like you talking about that and being open about what you went through just in the transition, especially as Brian brought up during this time in the pandemic and what companies are doing or not doing, it's important to talk about it because depression's real at this time for a lot yeah. of people just and younger people. Because young people are always trying to just figure it out. You're trying to learn, navigate your way through this and it's it's tough. Um, do Yo. you feel like you're Naomi, do you feel like you're sort of on the other side? Of figuring it, like you sound to me like you're in this place where you're a little bit more empowered, excited about what's coming next. Is that where you're at? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely still. I like to call it myself an active depression. Like I'm, I'm, at, I'm still like suffering from it, but I'm in a place where I'm able to get up and be active. So you know, I think it's also important for people, especially in this industry or any type of entertainment industry, people look at you and they say, "Oh, you're on TV. You're verified on Twitter." You, you get to go report at these things. You're cool. Your life is great. You're doing well. And it's easy to depict that on social media when I'm posting a picture with the mic flag. Hey, I'm at the Vikings. Hey, I'm on the studio. Hey, I'm doing this. But then it's like, you know, it's giving off a false narrative. And that makes people believe when they, let's say they want to go into this industry, that things are going to be like that. So I told myself, especially I did a lot of thinking while, you know, I'm dealing with this depression. I'm telling myself, like, one thing I'm not going to do anymore is, you know, depict a life that I'm not really living. Just because it's something you're going to have to battle with. You're going to look at your pictures. You're going to see like, this isn't, this isn't real happy, Naomi. Like, you're not really happy doing this. You're trying to prove a point to other people. So I think it's important for people to identify their depression and to not try to cover it. Like, it's okay. I'm not saying go out there and be awesome, push me to the edge, all my friends are dead type stuff every type right. of day. You know, I'm right. not trying to say do that. But I'm saying I think when people are more transparent with things like this, especially mental health, especially in communities that involve people of color it's important that we speak out against these things but to answer your question i feel like i'm getting to the other side i don't know what that timeline is like i don't want to say getting a job is going to solve all my issues because it's just a personal journey trust me exactly so it's like it's not that you know i'm like oh i don't have a job so you know the world's over and that whatever crystal bowl job comes in everything's gonna be great it's just about you know me now being on a pursuit of happiness, not to sound, you know, cliche, but it's like really being on a pursuit of happiness because you can get boxed in in this industry and people could tell you, oh, well, because of your, um, you know, your employment history, because of your experience, you really only could do X, Y, Z jobs. So prepare for that or whatever. And it's like, listen, I bust my behind to get to where I am. And people don't understand that. People don't understand that. And they see, you know, you can look at my paper resume and think, I am not qualified to do something, but let me tell you something. There hasn't been not one challenge that was given to me that I haven't executed. And if I didn't execute it on the first try, damn sure I had it by the second, third at the most. So it's like, it's, it's always what we say. How am I going to get the experience unless you don't give me the experience? And right. my big thing now when I'm looking at, you know, jobs and stuff and, you know, receiving the feedback and receiving um, slack, like, how do you think you can move to this market? How do you think you can do that? I'm saying... If they can, why can't I? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, I'm seeing people who were exactly in my shoes in small Mm -hmm. markets I was from, has a resume similar to mine. Why are they more qualified than me? Why does their experience trump my experience? Like, you can't tell me that. So if I'm going to see somebody make a big market jump, I'm going to say Naomi Gray can do it too. And that's the place that I'm trying to be in. And basically, it's like, I want to accept whatever job that looks like. I want it to be a job where I'm genuinely happy to clock into work every day, where I'm genuinely happy to be doing the work I'm doing. I'm genuinely happy to, you know, be creative with my content. And not only that, the people around you, it's important to have people around you who believe in you. You know, 
You know this industry is competitive. You're going to have people who compete with you in your own newsroom, you know, you have like that. And you won't imagine it. You have to gain those experiences until you learn those things. You know, there's going to be competition from other stations. Everybody's going to be saying, oh, what's this person doing? What's that person doing? Constantly comparing. But it's like if you have at least one person in your corner, it makes all the difference. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Certain times in my career, I didn't have that person in my corner. So I felt alone. So it's like my depression doesn't just stem from um, not getting a job. It stems from the feelings I had, you know, through my journey in this industry, through the jobs I've had and not feeling supported. So that that type of behavior and that those type of experiences, what the depression stems from. So that's why I say, you know, I don't think that I'm fully on the other um, end of it. But, you know, I'm gay. My experience will help me get to that other side. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. And I feel like I hear a lot of black uh, female journalists feel like they're not supported in this industry. And I think a lot of minorities, period, as I talked about before, don't feel like they have the support at their own jobs to be as great journalists as they want to be. But you're right about something. Sometimes at a job, even if you have one person, one person that supports you, believes in you, empowers you, can lean on and talk to, that can make a world of a difference just for your sanity, right? Like just, just for you staying sane. You know, that's why it's important, I said, to have mentors, people you can call and talk to. I still call my mentors when I'm going through stuff and they need it. And, you know, that that stuff is is definitely important, important for sure. Brian, I know you have something to say. Yeah, uh, it's very easy for people of color to also just be disenchanted with this industry very quickly, which is another thing I think people don't realize. That's why, Naomi, I think your mindset is important because we all know people who, whatever stage... 25 years old, 30 years old, 35, whatever it is, they're just like, they reach a point where it's like, all right, fuck this, I'm done. Like, I keep applying, I keep doing this, I keep going on interviews, I keep doing all this shit, I have a great resume, I have this, I have that, I have a connect here, connect here, and they're just like, like, throw up their hands and what the fuck else do you want me to do? Especially now, because like a lot of shit is closed, and a lot of people, a lot of companies are still on freezes. And, you know, they're looking at positions and slashing off 10 positions because it saves them, you know, $650,000 or whatever it is. And the working class gets fucked at the end of the day. Like, that's just kind of the cycle of what it is. So I think that mentality is very important, um, you know, to have because it's very easy to just sort of just give up. And I understand why a lot of people do. Because this is not sustainable choice for a lot of fucking people. Because you have these sort of gaps, pandemic or not, where it's like you finish mm-hmm. up a contract here, and then it might take fucking six months, a year, or however long to, you know, get to the next place. And you don't want to wind up back in, like, you don't want to, you know, be in some town like fucking Rockford, Illinois, because it's like, I already did the small town shit. Not to shit on Rockford, Illinois, but I don't know what the fuck is over there. You know what I mean? Or, 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 or what's the place in Mississippi? Where they go to last chance you, whatever it's called, like scuba. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like you're not trying to go to some place like that. So, um, yeah, that's really and all it, I have to exactly, say. And especially me, like me coming from a big city, it's like I'm gonna have a different perception on life. Like the small towns aren't gonna always work for me. You know what I mean? It wasn't what I yeah. was raised in. So it's like, yeah. and it's okay for me to not want to be there. You know what I'm saying? And that's the thing in this industry. It's like. You're taught in school, you gotta take L's. You gotta accept it. You have to accept the bottom of the barrel. You have to accept living in these places. Like, granted, I'm accepted, but like, after a while, at what point do I deserve to be in a place I want? I can't continue to live a life where I'm in places I don't personally want to be because it's gonna reflect in my work. And that's not what I worked hard for. I didn't work hard to be somewhere just for the F of it because, you know, people say, oh, take this job, you're gonna get something right after. 
oh, I took this job. I didn't get something after. So right, right. Rather, won't you accept, won't you expect right. me to want to the job that at least I'm enjoying and happy where I'm at? Happy so, where you're living. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you, you, you don't, we, people, we have, we have this sort just, of bullshit. No, we have this sort of bullshit <laughs> mentality where it's like, I mean, first of all, 85, 90% of people in America hate their job, period. And we have this idea in media where it's like, yo, you have to take this and you have to do this. and You have to, you know, suffer these sort of setbacks and sacrifice all these things in order to get to where you need to be. And at some point, like, when is that going to change? Yeah. Unless people start changing the shit, because it doesn't make sense. Like, I had I had somebody tell me, like, yo, you know, I wasn't able to get weekends off or do this, that, and the third and sacrifice all this shit for 20, 25 years until I got to you know, 45, 50 years old or whatever. And, you know, now I'm able to do that stuff. And I'm like, okay, cool. Why would I want to go that route? You know what I mean? I don't think that has to be a fucking initiation in order for me to get from point A to point B. If I suck, then it is what it is. But I fucking don't. You know what I'm saying? Like, and we have this industry, we have this mentality where it's like, nah, you have to sort of, you know, pay your dues in the same hardship way that people born in like 1960 did. And it's like, all right, so this, there's no, evol- there's no evolution, there's no advancement. Like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. I, my thing is, my thing is, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I understand people need to earn their way to stuff. You can't just be handing stuff to people like gets handed to people who are of, Different skin colors that's than us, the other which fucking problem which, because which, it's like why don't th- why don't why don't the white people doing this shit? Well, that's what not, go through the same tribulations that well, you're talking about. Well, and that's what why I'll say. Well, I'll say it for Naomi because that's why Naomi's talking about when you see certain people make market jumps that other other people people who look like us don't, right? And mm-hmm. that's my thing. If you're gonna be about paying dues, then let's keep it consistent for all. I'm fine with people having to pay dues and earn their way. What I'm not fine with is what Brian is talking about, the antiquated systemic ways of this has to be done this way. And Naomi, I've spoken to you about this, and our good friend Michelle Yu, she said this on the podcast, we've talked about this. You know, a lot of people said to me in my career, you have to go to a small market, you have to do this. I've been fortunate, I've stayed in New York my whole career, and I've made it doing it my way. We'll get to that a little bit more, and doing your own things. You said something, Naomi, about waiting for somebody to you know, tell you that you could do this this way or this. And you talked about living the life you want to live. You know, I think something that it should be talked about and old people should realize is you don't have to ask anybody for permission to live the life that you want to live. And people will try to tell you, you need to ask them for permission. You don't have to do that. You get the right to choose and say, nah, I don't want to do this. No, I don't want to live here. I don't want to live in a small market because I believe in myself and how I've grinded. You know, somebody could have told you before, you didn't do this, so you shouldn't be here. It's it's bullshit. Like nobody can tell you that. Nobody knows your path, your grind, or what you've done. And so you have to create those opportunities. And so la- the first time you were up here with us, we spoke a lot about your career to people and how you kind of got into sports journalism and how you came on with us in backpack broadcasting and did that and did that sort of stuff. And now, you know, you're back home. You're going to be doing some work with me again. You've been doing, uh, we should announce, she's been doing the sideline stories chats. Naomi's done some really uh, good ones already. Talk, tell the people about the two that are out and what else you got coming up. Yeah, so I've done um, sideline stories chats and I'm doing it from the perspective of people in this industry because I feel like those stories aren't told a lot. And if they are told, they're usually told in a very micro way, maybe you know, from the person telling their story just to whoever. But I was like, let me sit down with people who are like me in this industry 
and talk about their struggles because it's also kind of like a personal therapy session for myself. Hearing the things they went to went through is kind of like, okay, Naomi, they've been here too. You know what I mean? And it puts things into perspective. And yeah, I did one with Master from Bleacher Report. I did one with Samantha Rivera from Fox 5 San Diego, Latina. Um, Master's Eritrean. We don't usually see people who are Eritrean in this industry. Master's doing a lot of great things for Bleacher Report, kind of paving his own way. And my girl, Samantha, she made a huge market jump, but she's a Latina, and you don't really see that. So she's, you know, it's kind of like, I want to do it with people who are trailblazers and people who are doing things in their own way. Um, Brian's going to be on there talking about his stuff that he's doing and everything that he's been through. I have Chris Williamson of SNY, who I recorded with already, and he's been doing a lot of great things in New York City, and he's had quite the journey that, you know, I don't think a lot of people know about. So I'm happy to be able to share those stories. Like I said, it's therapeutic for me and it's, it's just getting me back in the grind. So. What's up listeners and supporters of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. We need some help from you and it won't take up too much of your time. As we grow, we always want to hear your feedback. So take a minute or two to fill out a short anonymous survey. The survey link is right in the episode notes for this podcast. It's easy and takes less than five minutes. As always, we thank you for your continued support. Naomi came to me and was like, yo, I see you do these sideline stories chats. Can I Can I do this? Can I do something? And Brian knows this still. I've said it too. I'm always like, yo, backpack family is always backpack family. And the door is always open for people to create whatever content they want. That's what it was for. So when Naomi came and had this idea of how she wanted to do it and the kind of interview she wanted to do, I'm like, no, this fits right in. Like, do what you want with it. Like, I don't really care. So she's already been doing a great job with it. And I'm excited to see more. And then Naomi and I have another project, which we will talk a little bit more about later, that's coming up <laughs> that we're going to work on that I think is going to be really dope um, as well, too. So a lot going on. You know, are, are you, I mean, you feel good. You sound optimistic about stuff in journalism I, for yourself. I'm optimistic for you and what you can show the same way as for Brian. We all have to stay positive when we can during these times. Um, st- speaking of staying positive, your football team, the New York Giants. Um, <laughs> things that things have not uh, been what you've been accustomed to the last couple of years. Uh, but I see you. You're true blue. You're you're rooting every Sunday. I have still... giant back hairs. Yeah, yeah. You're still. <laughs> I was you're trying still... to figure out what that was actually. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it looked like all oh, the tickets okay. to the Super Bowls. You want? Not because from uh... here they look like Yu-Gi-Oh cards a little bit. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Naomi's like, no, I would not be doing that. I would not be into that. Uh, how, hey, I still how, got a couple decks, you know what I'm saying? But of course I, you of course you do. Of course you do. Uh, <laughs> how, how are you feeling about Big Blue? Do you feel like they're turning things around? Uh, how are you feeling about things headed after this offseason and headed into next season? Yeah, I mean, slowly but surely things are turning around. I mean, we were able to finish with the 6-10 and 10 season last year. If I'm, I believe that's the right term. I haven't looked at their season finish in a while but um yeah things are turning around and I'm optimistic with the signs that they've done they signed Kenny Galloway of the Detroit Lions you know in 20 what was it 2019 he led the league in receiving touchdowns and then we just saw Kyle Rudolph from the Minnesota Vikings and you know I covered Kyle during my time in Minnesota and you know he's a tight end and he has 10 years under his belt. I think that's a great veteran presence that's coming in to our offense and I think there's hope there I mean we have to deal with the elephant in the room, like Saquon Barkley, you know, him tearing his ACL. And this is something, if you're a true Giants fan or if you've been watching the Giants for a long enough time, 
you saw this coming. They ran Saquon to the ground. So now it seems like they're trying to bring in other options so they're not using and abusing Saquon a lot because nobody's sure how he's going to come back. I don't think he's going to come back 100%. He might come back 85%. But if we have people in the right places to relieve him from having to take take every single snap and run the ball in every single play, that's going to create some great opportunity for the Giants. So I'm feeling optimistic. Um, last year's draft, I think we finally addressed the offensive line, something that's also been an elephant in the room for many years. So I think we're gearing toward the right direction. But what does that look like? Because, you know, we still have a whole defensive side of the ball that is still kind of like different puzzle pieces. I feel like to this day, I say like the last time we had a really stable team was in 2016 when it was Victor Cruz, Sterling Shepard, Odell Beckham. We had Tavares King. We had so many other people in the wide receiver group to kind of play with and help relieve one another and make big time plays. And, you know, obviously people could say Eli Manning's not a good quarterback, good quarterback, whatever. I still consider him a great quarterback. Two MVPs, like Hall of Famer. I still say that about Eli Manning. Nobody could take that away from me. But I think like back then in 2016, that was the last time we had a good cohesive group. That was the last time they made an appearance in the playoffs. You know, they made it to the wild card, lost to Green Bay. So that was kind of like, I think that foreshadowed what was ahead. It was like, all right, now I think, I think we're going down. And that's exactly what happened. But things are looking up this, you know, this past year was the best finish they had in a, in a while, in a long time. And that still wasn't even good. But, hey, we were talking about them possibly making the playoffs at some point. So things are definitely looking up. I'm always going to stay true to my Giants, even when we're low. That's just kind of how things things are. You know, before they won the championship in 2008, the last time before that was 1991. So there's going to be gap periods. How long does it matter when you win when you win chips, you know, twice in five years? No, it doesn't matter. So if this is the downtime and it's going to only, you know, reflect something that's happening in the future for us, another Super Bowl down the line in a few years, I'm chilling. I'm good. There you go. Brian, I wish we knew how that felt. Um, (laughs) I don't, but I don't root for the Jets anymore, so that's a whole other story. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I literally literally only have one Giants question because I have not been following them that closely. Honestly, like, and I've seen NFL offseason shit on my, like, Twitter feed, and I'm just kind of like, oh, cool. And then, you know, (laughs) I'm trying to stay off Twitter more and more, uh, which has actually been working to some degree. Um, yeah. Is this Daniel Jones shit going to work out? That's really all I got for you. I think it goes to, you know, I think the answer only is going to be provided once we see what they do with the rest of the offense. You know what I mean? It's like you got a young guy coming in, replacing the shoes of Eli Manning, who a lot of things were set up for him. You know what I mean? That's how it is. We have a quarterback that you believe in that you think is going to be your generational quarterback. You're going to make sure you got the best pieces for him to be the best he can be. So once the Giants do that for Daniel Jones and they – figure out what kind of quarterback he is, what works for him, what doesn't work for him, what type of protection does he need, what type of plays are, you know, are going to be the best for him, what type of receivers does he work well with. Once all of that is figured out, yeah, I'm sure he could flourish, but we haven't seen that. He came to the team when it was in its rut. So expecting a guy from Duke's football program to come in and revamp New York um, football is you're asking for a lot. It ain't about to happen. That's not, you know, Duke is not known for football. So you're going to bring this quarterback in and then everybody's like, oh my God, this DJ guy, blah, blah, blah. He sucks. Why did the Giants do that? Like, what did you expect? Like, that wasn't about to happen for us. So, but I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, close him out either because I mean, I'm not going to compare him to Tom Brady, but look at the legacy of Tom Brady and where he came from. You know, I just want to have this mindset that the possibilities are endless as long as he has the right team in front of him as long as he's able to have that support i think once we get there then i'll be able to predict what's going to work or not work for dj but 
Right now, I won't be able to have that answer because I haven't seen much from the rest of the offense, from the rest of the defense. Yeah, I guess we still have to. I guess we still have to see uh, what it is with him. Uh, since you're a Brooklynite, I have to ask you this. Uh, you see, my back man, I got the Barclays Center right yes. behind me. A lot of talk about the Nets. A oh. lot of conversation this week. <laughs> Brian's disgusted, but a lot of conversation this week. Are you? For, for, I guess the first question is: Do you consider the Nets a super team? And do you think people have a right to be annoyed by the acquisition of talent? We've seen them sign LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin re- recently. They obviously acquired uh, James Harden to play with Kyrie and KD earlier this year. And some people are really upset about this. Uh, are, are you one of those people that are saying they've got too much Richards right now? Or this is too much for Brooklyn? Or is it just people hating on Brooklyn as always? Yeah, to answer your first question. The Borough, not the Nets, to be clear. Yeah. yeah. To answer your first question, they are definitely a super team. They have two champions, multiple all-stars, multi-all-stars, you know. So it's like you have these acquisitions, they're hands down, they're hands down a super team. My thing is, are they gonna be an anticlimactic super super team? Are they gonna be a failed super team like we've seen in the in the past? So I'm kind of like since thankfully I'm not like a hardcore NBA fan, so I'm not tripping off of what they're doing. You know, they obviously have a championship to chase. There was it their first, it would be their first franchise championship if okay. it was yeah. happened for them. So it's like, I think they're like, yo, while we have the opportunity, let's gear up while we have the opportunity, while we can do all we can. We might as well. People are obviously going to take offense to it because like, oh, they're doing all of this to beat LeBron. Granted, that's the ultimate goal, but we still got the East to take care of. You know what I mean? Like, they still have, what, the 76ers right now got the top seed, and then the Bucks are not too behind after them. So it's like they have to handle handle what's going on in the East. And I think that their group, though, at this time is just kind of like, here comes the Nets, here comes the Nets, here comes the Nets. And it's like, whoa, all right. Like, once Harden got here, I was like, all right, cool. I think you guys could work with what you got. But now, like, Blake Griffin, and then you're bringing LaMarcus Aldridge, and he's going to have to go ahead and battle for the center position with DeAndre Jordan. And that's already, like, you know – DeAndre Jordan's not the biggest flashiest player, but that's still somebody who, you know, holds some type of weight. So it's like a lot is going on in Brooklyn, and I just hope that it pays off Um, because if it doesn't, it's going to be a bad look that you put all these quote-unquote superstars, you know, past, now, or future, whatever, superstars, and you weren't able to handle what the ultimate goal was. That's just kind of how I see it. But being a Brooklyn Knight, I'm going to root for them, and if they – do win the championship, best Leo and be tiptoeing in the parade with them. So <laughs> gonna be there right down Flavish Avenue. Uh Brian, <laughs> Brian, you sound like you are a little bit disgusted about the love the Nets have been receiving, or is it the Nets fans on Twitter annoying you a little bit more? I mean, uh, I interact with them a lot less than before, so it doesn't it's 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 not it's not like a previ- uh, couple previous incarnations ago where I was dealing with that every day. Uh, now I could sort of avoid that, but it doesn't change how annoying some of them have been. Some of them are cool. Don't get me wrong, but some of them don't deserve to see good things. So uh, we'll see what ends up happening <laughs> with their team. Uh, I I think they may win the championship, but I'd, I'd rather not have to deal with the after effects of that. You sound, Yeah, you sound so disgusting. I would love the after effects of it, but are we talking longevity? Absolutely not. This team isn't going to stick. And that's the problem I feel right now with NBA super teams and NBA teams in general. And I think that's probably what a lot of anger stems from from NBA fans is that, you know, a lot of teams aren't investing in players from young and players that will grow with the franchise and that will be like – because it's like a lot of these players that are with the Nets, they've already had their mark in other, in other, other teams, you know. Kevin Durant and OKC. 
Kyrie, Kyrie, you think the Cavs, you hear Harden, you think the Rockets, you know what I mean? Like those things, even like with Blake Griffin, you think the Clippers, like they've made their presence known in those teams that they already were with. So now it's like, we're not going to have a Brooklyn Nets team that's this championship caliber for a very long time. So it's hard for people to buy in. It's hard for people to respect it because it's just very, it's very time sensitive. And that's kind of what the yeah. NBA is now. Everything's, every single team and all these super teams, everything's very time sensitive. Like, we're going to remember these big teams, but how much of the Nets are we going to remember prior or after that, you know? And, and on top of that, they wear black and white, which is some OD mercenary shit. So. Wow. Well, I mean, I I say it, it, you know, it's true. And I think a lot of sports, maybe outside of baseball, has become that in the short term. But, you know, if you win, who cares? If you get two yeah. in five years like the Giants did and then you don't for another 12, who cares? <laughs> right? Like, you won. Like, you know what That's I haven't seen? It's, it's just, it's, you, could, you could blame AAU and video games for that. Probably. I'm actually, like, I'm actually serious. No, like, the, the, I have a whole, I have a whole theory that we can unpack in a future podcast about how our video game playing affects sports now. The video games that we were playing growing up and how we play them, because think about it. When you play Madden, we don't punt. We just go and throw the ball the fucking time. When we were growing up watching football, it was run, 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 run. Now everybody's throwing the ball, which is what we were doing in like Madden 04, 05. And now we're seeing that now nobody runs the ball with the same running back 25 times unless you got Derrick Henry. Same thing in basketball. Or or Saquon Barkley. Yeah, right. Uh, Pre-injury. Get well soon, Saquon. Um, and then in basketball, same thing. When you're playing with your friends like 10, 15 years ago, what are you doing? Running and gunning, shooting threes like crazy. The Suns were around at that time. A lot of people were using the Suns. Uh, the Knicks later on in 12, 13, but still people were posting up and doing all these things. And now when you watch basketball, what is it? It's just fucking threes and dunks all the time. It's even you sound like, you sound like You sound like an angry old man. No, 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 but I'm saying, but I'm saying this all started, this all started because of the way we played video games and nobody's made this connection. So I'm just going to be the first one to die on this. Yeah, we're going to have to, we're going to have to dig dig into that more. Naomi, I guess one thing we can get into is around this time in COVID, all the stuff that happened last year after the murders of, uh, you know, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and all this stuff. And we've talked about this on this pod. We've seen a lot of performative bullshit in sports, a lot of performative bullshit from companies. What have you thought about the way sports has been covered um, through this time around race and sports? Have, have you liked what you've seen in the industry or, or, or do you think there's more work that needs to be done? I think it's a, a great start. Like, And I think the time it hit me that you know, things might be turning leaf was during the boycotts when, you know, the WNBA started it, then the NBA followed suit, and then MLB and every. I was like, wow, okay. Especially the MLB, I was surprised that they followed suit. I was like, this is really a movement that we need to see. And um, it can't come off performative. I guess it's the way it's done. Like, people who truly knew what they're doing, we're still seeing a lot of the work being done. And shout out to the WNBA. Nobody can say anything about the WNBA because they put their foot in everybody's behind with the movements that they were doing. And, you know, putting social injustices at the top of their priority, even with voting what the WNBA did. So they, you know, were a great example to the things that we need to see from athletes, the things that we need to see in sports. Um, I think I saw a lot of performative stuff within um, the newsroom broadcasting realm. And I was just on, I was just doing an interview with somebody and I brought this up about how 
you know, following George Floyd's murder, there was a big push for diversity in newsrooms. And I started seeing every time, you know, companies made it known, we're hiring this person of color, we're hiring that person of color, we're doing this. So it's like, yes, people of color, it's like granted stuff that some man had to be murdered in broad daylight for this to happen, but it was great to see. And then now we're starting to see race and diversity reporters, positions that were never there. So that's a good start, but we're starting to see it fizzle down. You know what I mean? It wasn't consistent. So now it's like, that can seem performative because it's like, you guys did it when it was relevant. Are we still doing this? Are you guys still keeping it as a priority? Or it's like, all right, now we reached our cap. We got too much black folk in here. Cut it out. You know what I mean? It's like, is that what's happening? Or, you know, right. I just want to make sure that people are doing it for, because, because these people deserve it because it's the right thing to do and because it's long overdue. You know what I mean? And especially for me who worked in local news and continues plans to continue working in local news if given the opportunity, I just want to be able to see more people of color. And I don't only mean black people. I mean Latinas. I mean Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, whatever it is. Like, I want to see that because it's like, it's a feeling that you, like when you walk into a room and you see people who look different, are you, and it's like, it's kind of the way I grew up in New York. Like my school, it's like, I had my first boyfriend was like Mexican and like, you know, my best friend was like um, Trinidadian and stuff. Like it was just, it was a melting pot of all the people that I had. And when I say first boyfriend, I'm like third grade. So I had some follow-up questions. But <laughs> oh like, God. I mean, not to say that that wouldn't happen now, but I'm just saying like, it just goes to show with, you know, how powerful diversity is. You can make these connections with great people regardless of their race, regardless of where they're from. And that's something I want to see in this industry. And it's like, right. the viewers are so diverse. They want to see those people on TV. It's it's an exciting thing. So I feel like if anything was performative, it was that movement following um, George Floyd's murder and when Black Lives Movement, <clears throat> excuse me, the Black Lives Matter movement was at its peak. I feel like, you know, I hope that Places that are in position to hire more people of color are doing that. And it's funny because I was watching something not so long ago, um, and Megan McCain of The View had made a comment that, child, she make a lot of comments, but she made a comment that really stood out to me. She said something to the extent of, oh, you know, we're getting demands for, she called it, um, I forgot, something politics. And she was like, you know, we're getting demands that Asian Americans and people of color need to get jobs. So that means we're going to lose our jobs. And does it mean that, you know, we're supposed to give it up even though we're qualified? It's like, are you alluding to the fact that people of color are not qualified for the same position you were in? So it's like, those thoughts are still very much alive, regardless yep. of what we're seeing. Yep. She proved that those thoughts are very much alive and people don't get it. People are thinking that we're asking for handouts. No. We're not asking for handouts. We did the work. We deserve to be in these positions. And it's like, how can we feel any other way when we are seeing us being put up against people who are not people of color and those people are the ones who continue to get the jobs? How can we feel Even any other way when there's not being great examples for us? We're going to feel like we're not, that we're being marginalized, that we're being held back. We're not getting into these positions. So it's like, we have a right to demand the respect. We have a right to demand these jobs because we simply work for it and that's kind of yeah that's no 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 I, I i hear you on that and i think you know a lot of it like you said you've seen you saw the action at first but then we've kind of seen the decline and it makes me wonder about how performative it, it it has been and and are people really committed to it and i think i've seen firsthand that companies say they are but they're not really committed to it and it's not just i said this in a speaking engagement i had recently which was it's not enough to just hire a black person 
or a Latino person or Asian American. It's about making those people feel included and inclusive once they're in that place. Because if you just hire one black person and they're there, but their voice isn't heard, you hire one woman and her voice isn't heard and she doesn't feel included in the process, then you're not really about it. It doesn't really mean anything. If you're not willing to listen to new ideas and do the same thing over and over again and push people to look like us out purposefully, you're not, that's not, you're you're not getting it done. And there are companies doing it and you know why they do it? Brian and I have talked about this many times with other people because they can and they don't care. They've been getting away with it for so long. They don't care. Speaking of people getting away for it for long or men getting away with it for so long, because you're a big football fan. I know you've seen this Deshaun Watson stuff going on. Brian, I see your face. I know you've seen everything going on around with Deshaun Watson. I see you shaking your head, Naomi. Um, How disappointing is it? And I think a lot of it falls on us as men calling out other men. But how disappointing is it that men still are trying to abuse their power with women or uh, in terms of sexual harassment, all these accusations against Deshaun Washington of sexual harassment. Um, what what are your thoughts on that and the strength of those women speaking out? Because they're strong women to speak out about this. Um, you know, we're not saying that Deshaun Watson is guilty, but uh, evidence sure doesn't look good. What 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 are you, what are your thoughts on on all this? Seeing as the women speaking out, and how much more we still need to do about women, just in sports, around sports, athletes, reporters, everything that needs more that needs to be done for women. Yeah, and I'm gonna be real honest. I haven't been following this situation that closely because, unfortunately, it's just like all the rest of the stories. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's predictable at this point. So, am I disappointed? No, because I don't expect much from men in those positions. And like you said, I'm not saying Deshaun Watson is guilty, but it's a common thread. So I'm not going to expect you all to be saints. You know what I mean? So when things come out, it's like, "Mm," you know, I can't say I'm shocked. You know, this isn't, it's not something new that, you know, women are, you know, accusing these men in these positions of sexually harassing them. It happens. And then the reason why I don't feel any type of, you know, I don't feel any type of sadness or whatever grief for them is because, they have been put in positions and have been players for people and institutions that are okay with sweeping these kind of activities under the rug. So when it comes out and if it's true or if it's not, I'm just happy that it's a conversation that's being had because there's so many times, especially at the collegiate level, when things like this get um, sweeped under the rug. Today I had saw an article, I think um, his name is Darius Geis, I believe, LSU running back. He was accused of sexually harassing a 74-year-old security guard Um, that worked at LSU games. And when you're hearing the details of those stories, it's common, like, I guess, boy play, as, you know, society would call it, him saying, oh, you know, I like to sleep with ex-women, allegedly saying that. I like to sleep with old women, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, if those accusations are true, it's disgusting. And, you know, and you could see the pain that these alleged victims have. So it's hard for me to believe that this is just not true but it's just something needs to be done. I don't know. I don't know where the work begins. It's just like, it just goes to how our society is. Men consistently feel superior to women. They consistently feel that they're entitled to act this way, especially if a woman wants to be more revealing with what she's wearing. And, you know, oh, if she, if I, if she dresses sexy, she asked for it. Oh, if she was coming to this place, she asked for it. It's like, that's not really how it, how it works. Cause like, for me, like, I'm a woman and I have a certain type of body type and I like to wear stuff that 
compliment that. That doesn't mean I want you to start catcalling me the minute I'm walking down the block or sliding my DMs. I post a picture of my dress like, oh, you knew what you was doing when you wore that dress. You know what I knew what I was doing? Wow. I knew it was hot outside and that's exactly what the hell I wanted to wear for the day. That's what I knew I was doing. So it's like men do those type of things, a little microaggression. They don't even realize like if I want to call it sexual assault or something, I could do that. And they, I don't even think some people understand what sexual harassment and sexual assault are. And that's a problem. And especially in the sports industry, yeah. when I was starting out, you know, I was told, oh, you're you're pretty. You're going to get a job. You got to worry about nothing. Or, you know, oh, come work for me. Like, I can do this. Or, you know, I've worked for people where it's like, you know, I sat down and I'm thinking like, why are we all just like pretty girls here with this one guy or something? Mm-hmm. Like, why? Why are they, you know, I see companies like that and it's like not trying to knock them because maybe they're genuinely trying to do something and create a platform for women to succeed because some women don't have the opportunity, especially in the sports industry, giving them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe that's what they're doing, but sometimes study proves like, okay, there's this one creep, like what we saw with BSAO and stuff like that. There's this one creep and a bunch of attractive women and then next thing you know, they're being accused and there's proof that they've been hitting on them. It's like, why can't you just work with women and leave it at that? Why can't you just do that? Like, we don't need to have a type of relationship like that. We don't need to flirt. And to be honest, I'm not attracted to you, so we definitely don't need to flirt. Like, it's like, right. why can't we just be coworkers? Why can't you just be a mentor? Why can you not be a creep? That literally is the question. Uh, yeah, and you and I have spoke about this uh, many times, about your experiences with that. And sadly, you have to go through that. I've spoke to other women uh, who've been friends and even been on this podcast about some experiences. And... We were talking the other day about this, and I said, yo, they don't care about women. It's the guys if they want to mentor these young women, but they really don't care about these women. They really are just hoping getting close enough that they can sleep with them and use their little bit of power that they have and saying that, hey, I have this platform, and you need me to get to X place, so eventually you potentially will sleep with me. Let's call it what it is. That's what it's about. Um, All this stuff is about the power that even bum-ass men... Dudes who really, yeah, dudes who really ain't about shit think that they can abuse. And when dudes even have more status, this is why we see things with people abusing their power. But I'm glad you said that because it affects so many young women around sports, in sports journalism, in journalism, period. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's tired to stop. You said something about where the work begins. It begins with the men. The men got to call this out. Right. Brian and I got to call out. If you see this behavior, you got to call it out. That's where the work begins. It is not on women to fix sexism the way it is not on people of color to fix racism. That's not how it goes. You know what I mean? And people don't want to hear that sometimes. You want to fix sexism? It's about men. The work starts with men. Men got to tell other people like, nah, that's not cool. That's not right. We got to call it out. We got to talk about it on the podcast. I got to say it. Younger men like Brian have to say it. Brian has to teach younger men to say that, too. That's how we change it, but we got a long way to go. Some are always looking for more sports content, and among the glut of sports media, some are looking for sports content that dives a bit deeper and doesn't just stick to sports. So check out Backpack Broadcasting's original long-form sports journalism series, Sideline Stories. The award-winning original series takes viewers directly into underrepresented communities within the world of sports. It's a series that goes beyond traditional sports reporting, like box scores and statistics, presenting exclusive stories that you won't find anywhere else. With a diverse group of correspondents, the series provides interviews and interesting stories around the world of sports, because there is so much beyond the game, and so much that occurs off the field or court that impacts each of us and the world we live in. 
giving a voice to athletes, coaches, fans, and everyone involved in athletics, Sideline Stories looks to push sports storytelling further than ever before. It's a winner of the 2020 Independent Shorts Awards, and all episodes of Sideline Stories are available for viewing today on Backpack Broadcasting's YouTube channel and Facebook page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. We, got a, we got a long way to go. Uh, what, what, what are, as you wrap, what are you... I'm open this to both of y'all because I want I want to hear from both both of you guys because I think as people who are a little bit younger than me in journalism, we talk a lot about things that are wrong with journalism, things that we need to change, but it's us that can create the change. What do you guys like? What's the next thing you guys want to do? What's the next thing you want to take in journalism or do that's a sort of a game changer, or you think that you're already doing that is a game changer? For both, whoever wants to take it first, I, I think it's important That's, that both you guys, I mean, younger people of color, speak on this. I mean, like, I get asked more and more now, just like, what should I do in terms of going about this media shit, right? And what should you do, or people asking you what? No, they should them do? asking what what should they do? And Got because you. it's like, I, and I never, I never fucking know. Like I've joked around already, being like, "Yo, my kid ain't gonna do this shit when they grow older." But I, you know what I mean? Because how difficult it is. But at the same time, you know, with me as their father, it might be a little bit easier. Um, you know what I mean? We could get some of that, some of that shit that. I, I don't know about I don't know about you, Brian. Did you just think about Brian as a father? Did that just pop into your head? That just popped in my head. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm gonna, man. Yo, I'm going to be solid just down the fucking line. No, you know what I, I mean? I, I, have, I, have no, I have no doubt that you would be, bro. No doubt at all. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It just I'm gonna it popped in my head. Be. I think about I'm going to have to be because you know who the other person in that exchange is going to be. And, like, they want a fucking kid at some point. You know what I'm saying? So we're going to leave it there. But, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but. You that's, a lot of information there. Yeah. I mean, it's. A lot. A lot. <laughs> Go ahead. It's it's just to say, like I, in terms of uh, potentially changing the landscape, I think just just doing shit you care about and putting your all into it is super important. Uh, it's hard to do when or if you're in a situation, if you're someone who's in a situation who has a job that doesn't really allow for that kind of time to devote into it. But mm. you know, if you're willing to sort of work for it, I mean, Dexter, you've experienced this, like you know you've had to sort of still make backpack broadcasting and sideline stories and all your ventures outside of your primary job, not primary job, but your paying job with AccuWeather work. Uh, I think people, you know, misconstrue paying with primary and that's not always the case. We shouldn't look at it that way, but that's another discussion for another day. I agree. Um, Look, you already know, Hidalgo Heights coming out in the spring and I think that I mean, if it wasn't for COVID, it's probably a project, the fiction novel is what I'm talking about, it's probably a project that I wouldn't have ever done. And if it wasn't for COVID and I just decided to pop in NBA Street Volume 3 one day out of nowhere because we were in April and we were getting 10,000 deaths every fucking day, literally, and it was crazy out here and I was just sitting at home like, man, I like I'm bored, work's kind of like dead at this point, nobody knows what the fuck they're going to do and this, uh, this, that, and third. And I'm just hoping that that sets up a lot of different things because I want to get into more of a creative writing space. You know what I mean? Like the writing I do now is cool, but that's not where I see myself in the future. I don't think anybody wants to just be, you know, uh, basically writing off of breaking news uh, forever. I think it's kind of like bullshit that that's what the industry sort of is in a lot of places right now. 
Like it's like, yo, we need to do all these certain things to get clicks and you know, we gotta aggregate sometimes and do all that shit. Like I don't see myself doing that for the rest of my fucking career. So I wanna get into more of a creative writing and just a creative space in general because I also don't want to write that often. You know what I mean? Writing every gotcha. day and then trying to write your own projects, like that shit can be tough. And what I would tell people is like, yo, just really like especially if your job is not giving it to you. First of all, I would say this. Don't try to find a job that's just going to fulfill you 100% because it's just not like that's the 100% part of it. Like it's probably not going to happen, but you should always have your shit that you're going to do at the side. And this is why I think everybody should have a hobby and or a side project or whatever it is, because that's what's going to fill your soul at the end of the day uh, and give you what your job that you need to pay whatever it is isn't. So I think uh, that's important to note as well. That was good. And what what about you, Naomi? You got uh you got a lot of stuff going on. You're doing the sideline stories chat. We have uh some pieces that we're gonna have coming up around. I don't want to say too much around sports in New York and COVID. Um, that we'll be working on soon together. Um, is for for you? Is that filling your soul in the way Brian says? Does that motivate you towards? whatever's next and in terms of the change you want to see in the industry? Yeah. Um, I think that it's definitely motivated me. And as to the change I want to see, I feel like, you know, this generation of reporters who are just either graduated or are currently in the industry, they're very innovative, very creative. You see the way they're able to incorporate social media into their work and be able to make connections and being able to get very popular and get their content out. Like things are very innovative. And I think that, creativity is just going to is something that you can never put a cap on it's just going to be developing over time and continuously developing for me personally at heart the reason why I'm in this industry is because I love to be I love storytelling that's why I'm a journalist above all else and I think you know every, there's different type of sports reporting you could do there's different type of sports journalism you could do and I think something that's near and dear to me is being able to do things like you see what I'm doing with sideline stories doing sit down interviews being able to take down the wall between the fan and the athlete. Because, you know, growing up, you look at an athlete like they're a god. And I feel like my magic power in this industry and the work I'm proudest of is the stories I'm able to bring to the viewers that make them feel like they're connected with the athletes on a personal level. That's the work I want to continue to do throughout my career, whether that's like doing long-term, you know, documentaries, you know, doing long pieces for the NFL network and stuff like that. That's what I want to do. Obviously, sideline reporting is the biggest thing because I love being in the game. But I think um, the thing that makes me the happiest are interacting with people on a one-on-one level, doing those in-depth interviews. And that's what I hope to be able to continue to do throughout my career, whether that's a special series, whether that's a TV show, whether that's whatever. You know, that's something I want to like continue to do. Yo, I think it's dope that the both of you are thinking like outside the box. And that's why I asked the question to both of you, because I think younger people of color that are trying to get in this industry need to see that and they see that, yo, you don't just have to be boxed into this one thing. And I always felt like that's something I didn't want to do and try to push myself out of it. And I'm always thinking about what can I do next or what aligns with the values of the storytelling that I want to tell. So, you know, like where I am now, it's like, I want to do a lot about social issues around people of color or telling stories that people aren't represented in. And that's important to me. And like, you're right. You guys said great stuff that I hope people consider. Do the stuff you love to do. Uh, put your energy into that. And don't let anybody tell you what you have to do, how you have to be, where you have to work, and all this other bullshit that old people that don't want to change say. 
And we don't, we don't, we don't got, we ain't got to live like that no more, y'all. Like we don't nah, have we to. Really, we really we don't. don't. Like, we don't I have hate, to. I hate the structure of like just what the industry is or whatever, and the people who either try to preserve it or don't really want to try to change it. That's the shit that bothers me probably the most, especially people who can, like people who easily have a voice, have a position. And it's like, no, I'm just content with, you know, uh, keeping things the way they are, making this a little bit more profitable, making sure that I can make my rent or my mortgage or whatever the situation is. And it's like, if you really just get in this industry to just get into a nice spot and feel comfortable, then go fuck yourself and leave. Serious. Because like that shit is bullshit because we have a lot of people, especially younger, who to Naomi's point, uh, some people cloud chase you, but whatever, that comes with the territory. But you have some people who are doing good shit and like actually want to change shit and are good enough to do it. And that's the main thing about all this shit. Like we can talk a lot about, you know, uh, diversity, inclusion and white people controlling everything and this, this and that. Bottom line is there are a lot of motherfuckers out here who are good, who aren't getting what they deserve. Generally people of color. Yeah, men, I, I, men and women, but probably mostly women too. If I had to, like, you know, oh, guess the yeah. percentage, oh, like, oh, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, we yeah. we just know we just know how this country operates, and it's the same thing, not just here, but in any industry you can pretty much think of. It's just also bad here because it is around athletes, and a lot of the athletes are of color in basketball, in football, in boxing, et cetera, et cetera. And I say all that to say, like, yo. There are a lot of people who aren't really innovative and aren't really trying to change shit, change shit, and they just get to places and they're comfortable, and mm-hmm. we need to push them out. I don't know fucking how, but we need to get them the fuck out of here. Well, last thing I'll say is I think we do that by continuing to do what we've done and creating our own stuff and supporting and uplifting and building each other. The two of you here on this podcast are testaments of that. Uh, I was told Naomi this, and this I will wrap on this. The other day I was watching... I went back and I looked at the first sideline stories that both of you guys did around boxing. And I oh, was we just talked like, about this last week. Yeah, and I was like, and I was just like, yo, it's crazy. And then yeah, just a couple of days ago, I was standing with Naomi and I was watching Naomi do something on camera. And I was like, just amazed at her growth. And I watched you, Brian, and what you did on camera. And I was saying, I, I remember Naomi being on camera for the first time. And she brought up something to me like a couple weeks ago I forgot about. The first time she did a sideline hit. And I mean, you both of you, I had both of you guys doing sideline reporting at Nike Pro City a couple years ago. I remember Naomi like messed up. I don't remember how she messed up, but she did and she came to me after that. I was talking about. Yeah, and I was kind of just like, all right, like it's cool. And, it's cool and you're just going to get back and you're going to do it again. And I think that I say that all to say that the testament of you guys always being willing to do new things, especially you, Naomi, and just pushing forward with it even when it was tough is a testament. And so now it's great to sit here with y'all and have y'all giving some game to some other people. That's, that's how it's supposed to be. Like right. that's how these, that's how these things are supposed to go. Uh, that's Naomi Gray, sports reporter. She's a free agent. Somebody is going to sign her soon, but we're happy <laughs> to have her here on backpack broadcasting. Somebody will sign her soon, but we, we, she's always family queen of backpack broadcasting sister. We, uh, Breast wishes um, as you go forth, and we got a lot of great, more great work to do. Um, follow her, look up her great work. She's got more great sideline stories, chats coming out. 
Um, and go look up her older work if you want to see the first piece she did for Sideline Stories. It's a good one. Or you want to see that sideline reporting. You can find that somewhere, too, I'm sure. If you want to go back. I don't go back and look at some of my old stuff because I don't even like it. So it's just like, ugh. That I, was I, I, a vibe should be like the Mikey Holiday classic at, like, George Westinghouse. Oh, Westinghouse. Yes, I remember that. Brian, I don't remember if you were there that day. I think you He was there. No. Okay, Brian. My first one was the day I met Naomi, actually. That was when we did Unsigned Hype. Uh, Unsigned Hype. Yeah. Okay, which was, yes. Which, which, which was five years ago, almost to the day, because that was early April. Like. That does not feel like five years ago. I was yeah. nervous as hell going into that shit. Dex was like, yo, uh, here's this coach's number. Call him. Ask him about this kid. I'm like, yo, uh, what? Like, you want me to fucking call him? Yeah, like, you got, you know, you know, everybody knows. I was I still in college and shit. Like, it's like, yo, get into the fire, get it done. And that's how you grow. I'm, I'm a big believer in that. So that's it. Naomi, uh, thank you. We got a lot more great work to you. Brian and I uh, salute you for everything you're doing. You're still doing great work and the people are going to see it and everything is going to shine through. Right. All right, sister. Thank you. I appreciate no, it. No problem. That's Naomi Gray. He's Brian Fonseca. This is episode 172 of the Hey Hard to Tell podcast. Thank you for everybody continuing to support us. Please continue to do it. Subscribe, share, do everything that you need to do. For my two great friends, until next time, y'all. Peace.